Pleasant Good Evening Mets fans, and welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. Sam Lebowitz joined alongside, as always, by Jack Hendon, virtually, of course, for episode 50 of the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. I can't believe we've made it this far. We are pretty much right just a couple of days from our exact one-year anniversary. This is essentially the one-year anniversary special. Uh, Our first episode dropped on August 25th. 2020 it is as of recording august 22nd 2021 um crazy to think that we've been doing this a year uh never really thought i'd be involved in something like this and and jack it's been a pleasure to do it alongside uh someone who i consider a good friend yeah absolutely i likewise great you you know great friend great times i mean i just i can't wait to see what we do next it's going to be a lot of fun but this is this is a, you know, this is a milestone for us. It's also like a month since we have recorded on a date, like after a game at the Mets have won, which yeah. just, it's, that's a huge deal. Like I'm, I'm, I'm stoked to talk about that. I don't care how bad every other game was like. Yeah. Everything's really still, one. everything still mostly stinks, but we've been too negative. We've been too negative recently. And this is supposed to be a fun podcast, and we're going to try to have some fun today. We've got uh, something special planned uh, to commemorate the release of the 50th episode of the Pleasant Good Evening podcast. Um, I, if you're on Twitter, you contributed to that thread. You know pretty much exactly what it's going to be, but it's going to be fun. We'll do that after the ad break, probably about halfway or so through this episode after we unpack things with the team. Like Jack alluded to, uh, this is the first time since July the 25th that the Mets have won a game on a Sunday and allowed us to record in a kind of good mood. That was when they beat the Blue Jays in the rubber match of that series. The Mets took the finale in Los Angeles today by a score of seven to two, salvaging that four game set, avoiding the sweep and finishing the West coast swing with a two and five record, losing the first two in San Francisco before that big extra inning win in the finale out in the Bay and dropping the first three, in Chavez Ravine against the Dodgers, but some real positive takeaways from today's game. First of all, three runs in the first inning against David Price, doing what they should have done against a pitcher who is over the hump in Price and um, doing what they haven't done a lot at all in this terrible, terrible August in which they're six and 15 is scoring first and scoring crooked numbers The three in the first inning was huge for this team. And it was certainly something that Marcus Stroman deserved because he has been the dude who has been, first of all, most consistent in the rotation this year among the healthy starters and the dude who gets the least amount of run support. And today he got the run support. He was the winning pitcher, his team leading ninth victory uh, to pace this team and uh, send them home on a, on a happy flight. Yeah. I thought that they showed a lot more today. Uh, than they had in games past. And that's, you know, I, I would have, if we had been recording after the Giants game on Wednesday, I think I would have said some very similar things because, you know, they held it in extra innings, like very, very well. And then obviously put up four runs um, in the, in the inning that decided it all. Uh, and that was really exciting. But I do think that this is a little bit different because you have Javi Baez back in that lineup now, like you have some pieces that are, coming into the fold from, you know, the injured list. Uh, in some cases, there are guys who are basic, who are starting to turn it around. I think that Jeff McNeil played another really good game today. 
Michael Conforto only got one at bat today, but he has kind of very quietly uh, started to get himself out of the woods. Pete Alonso's had some good swings. Davis had his first home run in like nearly 90 at bats, um, which is a, a huge thing, especially because it came like right after he took a grounder off um, off his throwing hand when, you know, his dominant batting hand and it, it looked pretty painful and he just got right back in there and, and, and took a ball out. And it was, uh, it was really encouraging. They, you know, after those three runs, you thought it was kind of set, but there was a point where it was three to two um, and Stroman didn't look great in like the fourth inning. And they, you know, the Mets put third and second, they put runners on third and second in the, uh, in the sixth, I believe. Yeah. The sixth. And they didn't score at all, despite having none out. Like, and it looked a lot like they were going to blow this thing, kind of akin to what they did against the Giants. Um, but they got right back on their horse and, and figured it out the following inning, and really, really, I think, like, ran away with the game for the first time in a while. And I think that's something that you leave the West Coast, you get a day off, and then you come back to your home crowd, and you hope you can do something with that. Obviously, the circumstances have changed dramatically. Uh, even since we last recorded, right? They're seven games out of first place, which is, I mean, three weeks ago, they were five games up. It's, it's, they're under 500. There are a lot of things uh, that tell you that this team is down to its last couple of swings, but, um, you know, we're going to do with it what we can. I mean, I had a lot of fun watching this one and, um, you know, they, once this Giants team is done, they have it a little bit easier. So that's nice. Yeah. The, uh, Signs of life were definitely there in this finale um, as they were kind of in the, the San Francisco finale too. It's, it's good that this team is kind of coming out and saying, you know, we may be playing really kind of awful baseball, but we're not going to go get our butts beat every single time. We're not going to go get swept. You know, this was a, a, a situation in which they very easily could have gone Oh, and 10 in this swing with the two series against the Dodgers and the series against the Giants. So, you know, it could have been that ugly, but mm-hmm. um, after they got swept, you know, they lost five straight going into the finale in San Francisco. And, it's, you know, they played their worst baseball of the year against the best teams in baseball. It's, it's unfortunate. The Giants, the first team to 80 wins and the Dodgers are right behind them with 78. It's, uh, it's, it's bad timing for them to be playing this, this poor brand of baseball, but, there are signs of life and things do get easier for a stretch after this uh, three game set against the giants at home that they start on Tuesday, they get an off day, they get, you know, a day to shake off the jet lag, a couple of sleeps uh, and then welcome a, a giants team. That is not quite the same giants team that they faced just last week. They have dealt with a couple of pitching injuries on their side since obviously Anthony D. Sclafani left his start against the Mets He's now on the injured list. We don't have to worry about seeing him. I don't think we see Kevin Gossman in this series. I could be wrong on that one. Let me check on it real quick. Um, they get, yeah, they do not get uh, Kevin Gossman in this series. They get Alex Wood, Johnny Cueto, and a call-up from AAA in the first game, uh, Sammy Long, uh, who's a left-hander, who I'm sure will shove five scoreless innings because that's what rookie left-handers tend to do against the Mets. That's fine. Right. Um it's impossible to get a book on that too, by the way. I mean, I thought they were going to lose this game today when I saw the lineup card. Like there are still oh, yeah. things that there are still things that we're mad about and we're negative about, and we will be negative about when it happens again. Like right. I was like, shocked they, that they put three up again. They could have the taken, taken three or four in this series. They had two, the, the two middle games in this Dodger series were one run losses that they kind of teased us in the later innings in both games and left guys on. And, uh, 
it happens. It's the way that the cookie crumbles when you're a team that is struggling all around. I mean, the pitching has not really been the issue in this road trip for the most part, uh, especially in this series. The Dodgers didn't score more than four runs in any of the games. Yeah. Um, they contained Max Muncie. I think Max Muncie had one hit in the four games. Um, mm-hmm. Besides the home runs against Rich Hill, they kept the Dodgers in the ballpark for the most part. So uh, there were positives, I guess. The pitching continues to do their job at least a little bit. They're keeping the team in games. Yeah. But the issue is the offense is just nowhere to be found for the most part. I mean, seven runs today, that's great. Got to keep the line moving. Uh, really got to keep the line moving because you're not going to survive. And, and they're already kind of spitting out blood here, obviously, as we know if you can't score runs. Um, But like you alluded to, Jack, it does get a little bit easier if you can survive this giant series. Maybe if you can take two of three by some uh, sheer dumb luck against baseball's best team, that would certainly be something. Um, Mm -hmm. The Braves are playing the Yankees this week as the Mets play the uh, the Giants at home. First of all, the Braves um, did what they're supposed to do, beat up and swept a – absolutely free-falling Orioles team that has lost now 18 in a row. Um, fun that they got the worst team in baseball at the same time as the Mets got one of the best teams in baseball, the Dodgers. Um, yeah. fun the Giants are having works. a better season than they are too. Like, Yeah, a little fun little scheduling quirk there. But they do get the Yankees this, this, uh, this week who have been red hot, so maybe they could slow the Braves down a little bit. Mm-hmm. And hopefully the Mets can lock into a couple of wins and gain a couple of uh, – Games back during these next three games this week um, against the Giants. But after you get through the Giants series, you have 17 games in a row in which you are facing the bottom two teams in the National League East. You get the Nationals for three. You get the the, uh, Marlins for four. You get the Nationals for five. Then you get the Marlins for three more. You got to beat up on those teams. You absolutely have to beat up on those teams because after that, you're really not facing teams below 500 for the rest of the season. You get There's a series in Milwaukee down the stretch there. There's a series against the Yankees, a series against the Cardinals at home. I believe the only series um, after this next stretch against the Marlins and Nationals in which they face a team that's under 500 is the Marlins again, the second to last series of the year, the last home series of the year. Mm-hmm. So... If you could run into a bit of heat in this stretch after the Giants series, uh, maybe do something akin to the stretch they went on against uh, below 500 teams in 2019 when they kind of teased us. Yeah. Um, when that would, when they were playing their best ball of the year, when they won like 15 of 16. Obviously, probably not going to happen. Yeah. But God, if there's a time to make a run, it's against these two teams. It's against the Marlins, who just got swept out of Cincinnati, and it's against the Nationals, who the Mets swept the last time they faced them. Mm-hmm. So go win a whole bunch of baseball games and see where you're at standings-wise right. when you're done with that last series against the Marlins. Well, that's the – yeah. I think that's the caveat now is that you have to see where you're at when this is done. Like you're no longer at the luxury of being in first place and knowing when you win a game that worst-case scenario, you would still be in first place. Um, this team is seven games out and the Braves are now 12 games over 500. I mean, they've won nine in a row. That kind of streak, I don't think is necessarily sustainable, but also 12 over the Mets were never 12 over 500 this year. They were never more than 10 over 500. So to, to look at it from like a, you know, like a comeback perspective from a working your way back angle. I I think that it's, 
it's uncharted territory for this team. Then again, there's also uncharted territory in that we haven't seen Lindor and Baez play together yet. Lindor is going to be coming back at the beginning of the series. Uh, I'm really excited for that. I mean, they haven't designated it as officially the beginning of this series, but it, it sounds like it's going to be that. What it sounded like was they activated Bias today because he was well enough to play, and they didn't want to do anything to Lindor during a getaway day when there was a day off the following day. So they figured they would just get him prepared however they can so that he'll be at least ready for like – a sec at worst the second game of this giant series but you get him back and if he starts performing the way he did before he got hurt you're going to give those teams that you're playing a lot of problems and that's that's the nice thing about it it's literally just the fact that you are now on the outside looking in and you're begging the Braves to lose games and this is the best that team has looked all year I know they were playing the Orioles I mean they hey they've won 16 of 18 like yeah great to them. They... really well you have to give them credit for the, the fact the, that they've actually stepped up and decided they were going to be the best team in this division. Yeah, and the teams below them are, um, excuse me, the point I was going to make, uh, yeah. I misspoke there. The pieces that they got at the deadline have been going off. Like today, I think that they won three to one and they scored their runs on an Adam Duvall and a Jorge Soler home run. So like the pieces that they got at the deadline are doing really, really well for them. Duvall and Soler have both been hitting yeah for them and, and hitting homers for them more importantly. And then Richard Rodriguez, who they got for the bullpen has like a sub one ERA and like 11 appearances. And they have Darno catching now. Yeah. And Darno's back too. By the and way. they have, you know, a back Waskar, you know, came back. Like their pitching is in a very, very good spot. Max Fried is pitching like the guy we remember two years ago. Right. Like, so the thing with the NL East is that that might all be, you know, well and, and done at this point. Cause it's seven games, but they're also seven games back in the wild card. Right. So theoretically there could be a run there. Obviously a, it's a state of flux. Cause the reds run that now they own yeah. the second wild card spot, which they is just hopped amazing. over the Padres today. Yeah. The Padres have been, uh, you know, they're the fraud race. They've been kind of free falling themselves a little bit. Um, the reds have been playing a real good brand of baseball in August. Shout out to my friend, Allie Kaler, but we don't know how legit that team is. Their bullpen hasn't been very good this year. The starting pitching has been a little hit or miss. Obviously, they have a very good lineup. Jesse Winker, however, is out for a little bit now. He's hurt. So uh, you got that. Obviously, I'm not like the Phillies, whatever. Um, not really concerned about them. They got swept out of Arizona before, uh, I think, splitting a series against the Padres or taking two of three. So um, the teams ahead of the Mets – uh, the Cardinals too. I don't think the Cardinals are all that good either. They're 63 and 60. So the teams that are ahead of the Mets in the wild card race could just as easily free fall and create a, a situation where the Mets could make up ground in that race. So like, I know we were on here like last week and the week before kind of expressing concerns over the, uh, the Mets season being headed towards death. Uh, and it is certainly still on life support. However, the next two to three weeks are absolutely crucial, especially once you get past this Giants series. Really, just don't get swept by the Giants at home. And at that point, hopefully you're still six games out, seven games out, and you can make up ground. There's 38 games left in the season, I believe. Yeah. And we have seen teams, trigger warning here, make up seven games in a playoff race in half the time that yeah. the Mets have left. It so, was the Mets that 
were really? on the receiving end of that, which is like to expect an, a team that isn't the Mets to do that is like, I mean, I also have my own qualms with that, like statistic. I mean, it's a real statistic, right? Like they blew that and it was what it was, but like it became, it went from seven games to four games in literally like three days because the Phillies swept them, which people always forget. Like that was a huge series that they blew. And that was what, set the dominoes in line for everything that followed. And the Phillies had an extremely easy schedule after that. And it's, you know, the Mets don't really have the, uh, the luxury of having an easy schedule those last 17 games of the year. Um, you just got to remember here, though, that the Phillies are on, on the opposite coin, on the opposite side of the same coin as the Mets. They're cut from the same cloth. These two teams just never want to finish seasons and never want to play good baseball. And, um, I don't exactly trust them to take advantage of that easy, easy schedule down the stretch. Oh, well, not the Phillies. No, I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I'm not talking. I use the Phillies as an example, because that's a team we blew the lead to. Sure. I'm not worried about the Phillies at all right now. Like you have Padres now, you have Reds now, you have Braves, you have th- a three headed monster that, uh, you know, you can try and slice up any way you want if you win your games, but you have to win your games. Yeah, obviously you have to win your games. And and yeah. by the way, assuming Francisco Lindor does come back for this Giants series, again, we don't know officially, but it sounds like that's going to happen. Um, the Mets record when he's on the field this year is like six games over 500, where they're like nine games under 500 when he's not on the field or something to that effect. So, you know, part of that could be circumstantial just because they played real bad baseball with him off the field, but maybe they played bad baseball in part because he wasn't on the field. So mm-hmm. maybe it's circumstantial, but I mean, there are effects like this in baseball where like guys seem to have these weird impacts on teams when they're healthy versus when they're not healthy. Like, I'm just saying, who knows anything could happen when uh, when they get their leader back uh, mm. on the infield on uh, on Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, that would be such a good storyline if like, like just the way this year began for him with the treatment that he got from fans and also I think from the media, which if he just puts up like a monster well. month. If he just puts yeah. up like a monster September and leads this team back into the playoff picture, like he will be a fan favorite and a hometown hero for like the rest of the 10 year contract. And I, yeah. I so very much want that to happen, but regardless, yeah, we've got some other uh, housekeeping to take care of. There's some injury news. Obviously we talked about Lindor, uh, Noah Syndergaard faced Lindor in a, in a, in a sim game. I think he threw 20 pitches and topped out around 95, 96. And, uh, they don't really know his plan moving forward, but he's going to keep, I think, facing live hitters. And um, we'll see how that goes. And hopefully they get him back in a big league game by early to mid-September. Uh, the other right-hander of note that's injured is Jacob Grum. Right. And we don't have any positive news on him. In fact, there was a report out of Sports Illustrated from our former Metsmerized pal, Pat Ragazzo, that said uh, the Mets actually plan to shut Jake down for the year and and not even try to have him come back and pitch, which would not be fun, but it is something we've talked about on the podcast and something we have foreseen a bit. Um, obviously don't want that to happen, but if the Mets doctors deem that to be the most uh, impactful and positive uh, course of action for Jake's elbow and shoulder, uh, then so be it. Because this team, as we have mentioned, are their season's on life support, and they probably are not going to make the playoffs, mm-hmm. um, as they are seven out in both the wild card and Eastern Division on April 
the 22nd. Yeah, that's, I mean, I don't know. I think of the DeGrom thing is in a, in a way that's going to make me sound really, really bad to people listening. I almost think it's a positive um, just because he's clearly not healthy. Um, he's clearly not as well as uh, people had been selling it, whether that's people in the front office or, or fans, et cetera, as people had been selling it when we were around the deadline. I mean, there was that whole piece about like how they didn't end up getting Chris Bryant because they didn't want to, um, they didn't want DeGrom, uh, you know, they didn't want to like pull out all the stops in the season that DeGrom wouldn't be healthy in. Right. And that's, they clearly knew something was wrong. Um, I don't want to make him dredge out innings. I don't want to milk the last ounces of baseball out of him for a team that could very well just play a one game playoff in the wild card. And that's how it all ends for them. And then you have these lingering health problems the rest of his time here. Like I'm, I'm willing to sit on what you need to right now. Cause I also don't really think that getting Jacob DeGrom back in here, if the pitching so far has been any indication of anything, I don't think getting him back in to start every fifth game is the thing that's going to turn this team from a, a sputtering third place team to a team that could very easily come back and win this division. Like you need your hitters to hit. It's been the whole thing this year. The hitters, some of them just haven't been healthy all year. Like Davis has been battling things all year. Smith, we read an article earlier in the week that said he had a swollen wrist and he's been dealing with groin things. And he's the only one that hasn't even been on the injured list, right? McCann's on the injured list. They've advised McNeil not to run that hard on balls that he doesn't think he can beat out because he's obviously still very hurt, which is ironic because now they're putting him in the outfield, but we'll shelf that for when he has a bad game out there. Hopefully he doesn't, but whatever, like the hitting needs to piece it together and they need to start scoring so that there's less pressure on these starters and relievers going forward. And I don't want to put Jacob deGrom's career and his future in jeopardy so that you know, you're basically testing the same theory where if the hitters hit, you win. And if they don't, then you're screwed. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but it, it, does, it, it does make sense. And I agree with you completely. If the season's dead, it's he's it's dead. He's not, there's nothing for him to come back and pitch for if they're not making the playoffs. He's only made 15 starts this year. He's not going to win a Cy Young this year. Um, even though if you, you know, asked everyone in, in our, you know, early June, everyone would have said, well, yeah, no, no crap. He's going to win the Cy Young this year. Yeah. Um, just an unfortunate way and then pitchers break and Jake is, you know, even though he doesn't appear human, he still is. And he's still a pitcher. Um, but I agree with you completely. And I, I think, you know, I, I expressed this on uh, the, the bird app um, when the news kind of sprung forth that the Mets were aware that DeGrom, there's a very good chance that he wouldn't pitch again this season. They knew that on deadline day and it kind of informed the deals that they tried to make. Mm-hmm. My feeling, again, I expressed this on, on Twitter, is that I think no matter the health situation of the team, no matter who's out, if you have a four-game lead on deadline day, you need to buy harder than you did. You need to buy. Yeah. Like you're obligated to buy in that situation, regardless of your current situation. It just means you're in a situation where you're four games up at the deadline. You got to put that lead away. You got to bury the teams beneath you even more because you're in a you know, playoff position. You have a chance yeah. to get into the playoffs 
as long as you play 500, slightly better above 500 ball down the stretch and the team behind you doesn't go on an absolute tear. Obviously the Braves have gone in an absolute tear. So it might not have mattered how the Mets played all that much over the past 20 days or so. Um, if the team behind you wins 16 of 18, there's really nothing you can do about that. But um, there were other good pitchers on the market. You could have gone out yeah. like they, they had traction yeah. on a, on a deal for J.O. Barrios. Like they could have gone and, and gotten Barrios. Like yeah. uh, there's that. Uh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to try and like, you know, tear whatever's left in Jacob DeGrom's elbow ligaments because we screwed up in July and didn't get an actual pitcher. I mean, they literally, their prized possession out of this whole thing, their big fish pitching wise was Rich Hill, who is very bad, like very, oh, yeah. very, very bad. And I say this, I said this last week, like, you know, I was, I was hyped when they first got him um, because his numbers had been good as a Dodger, but I should have done my research because the, the guy doesn't really go deep into games and he doesn't locate his 87 to 89 mile per hour fastball. Like I, I, I care way more about the fact that the front office didn't get this done than I even care that the hitters aren't getting it done. Like you have an obligation to support your, your team here and show them that you uh, want them to win. I mean, we talk about chemistry all the time and how we want this team, you know, to keep its spirit up, but like, you didn't really give them much of like a vote. You basically told all your pitchers to, to take a hike when you made the decisions you made at the deadline. Like that was, you told Jeremy Hefner, basically like, sorry, like this is just your battle to fight. You know, you'll have to keep these guys healthy and teach them how to, you know, stay healthy over a full season. And I mean, I don't know. It's just, it, it's, you can't sacrifice Jacob deGrom to double down on your bad season. If you're in the front office. Yeah. Listen, the, 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 unfortunate fact about the way baseball is as a sport is that no matter how good an individual pitcher is one singular starting pitcher cannot put a team on his back because he's only pitching one out of every five games so even if Degrom comes back like even if you got good MRI news and he was back in mid-August that's a boost to the team no doubt like you just got automatically got better every fifth day by you automatically just became the best team in baseball every fifth day, as long as you could put up a few runs. Like, I don't care about that. Cause even so you could lose the other four days out of the week yeah. and still find yourself under 500 when the season ends. Yeah. Credit to Marcus Stroman and Taiwan Walker who have picked up some of the slack, especially Stroman, especially since that amazing start he had in Cincinnati and Taiwan, his last two or three have been excellent. Yeah. Um, and Tyler back. McGill. McGill has McGill's been, been great. Yeah. Phenomenal. Been great. McGill so, might get rookie of the year votes. So while Carrasco is still pitching like it's March 15th mm. uh, and Rich Hill is pitching like he's 51, um, the rest of the guys in the rotation, including a, a friggin' rookie who right. had no, who was eight men or nine men down on the death chart at the beginning of the year, if not more, uh, have been excellent. So credit to them. And credit to the offense today for stepping up for Marcus, who has been one of the unluckier pitchers in terms of run support this season. Um, he certainly wouldn't let you forget it if you follow him on Twitter. Uh, but that's yeah, a well, whole other no. can of worms. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, guys are on rehab. Not big names, but names nonetheless. Jose Ramirez hit a home run today for AAA Syracuse. So the Mets. Who? Jose Ramirez. Oh my God. I see Jose idiot. Martinez. I'm you sorry. Fool. I got it. Jose Ramirez did something in the little league classic that's going on right now. And I got the notification on my phone. So that's why I said Jose Ramirez, Jose okay. Martinez. Yes. Hit a home run 
for AAA Syracuse on Sunday uh, in a rehab game. He's continuing his rehab. It started in St. Lucie. He's up to Syracuse now. He has not been a Met yet, but looks like he's going to be by some incredible stretch of the imagination. Remember, he had that knee injury in spring training, that home run, by the way. My friend Will Scott made a very nice call on it. He's doing some of the broadcasting for AAA Syracuse. Credit to Will Scott. Jordan Yamamoto is facing live hitters. Steven Nogasek is facing live hitters. Heath Hembury is a Met now. He's going to get activated when they get back to the East Coast. So we got him. We we got him. One of the least effective right-handed relievers in baseball in terms of like home run rate and stuff. But his but his Sierra's good. Well, he's leaving Cincinnati, so I guess their hope is the home runs were literally just a, an issue attached to his being a Red, which they weren't. But like probably not. Yeah. Yeah. They need to I mean, clear he's also been a Philly and a Red Sox in the last few years. So he's worn yeah. lots of red uniforms. So maybe you put him in a blue uniform and, and maybe he pitches better. But I mean, he's a, he's a, a mo- like a heavy slider usage guy. So uh, maybe Jeremy Hefner can do something with that and they can turn him into a, an average or above average reliever down the stretch. I don't foresee it happening, but mm-hmm. uh, very similar to the Brad Brock trade. Or, uh, or sign whatever it was when they first acquired Brock off the scrap heap a couple of years ago yeah. um, in August. Remember, he was pretty good for the Mets down the stretch and then was like trash the following year. So, yeah, they cooked him. Oh, yeah, yeah. big time. So there are there are some names coming back. Um, but, you know, Martinez is just a bench bat. Like you're not going to start him over Pete Alonso and you're not going to certainly you shouldn't start him in the outfield because he's one of the worst defenders in baseball. But who knows? Uh, there's some names coming back. Um, and uh, like someone like Yamamoto, I'm interested in. Like they have Chance Cisco's here. And like the catching da- tandem with uh, McCann out is fairly intriguing with Mazika and Cisco. It's extremely um, like 2018 when Darno and Ploiecki got hurt the same week and they had like Lobatone and like extremely young, late on everything, Tomas Nito as their starter and backup. This is some advanced guy remembering that we'll, you know, we'll, we'll save for later, but that's, also, that's the first thing I thought of. Is this weird of me that until I saw him batting lefty on lefty against the Dodgers this weekend, for whatever reason in my head, Chance Cisco was a switch hitter. Could have. Was that a thing? Been. I don't, maybe it was a thing. I don't think it was, it, it probably wasn't a thing. I just like, would have been weird for the Orioles to DFA a top catching prospect, like who was also a switch hitter. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm just thinking that all former top prospect catchers with the Orioles have to be switch hitters because Matt Wieters and now Adley Rushman are like, mm-hmm. or maybe it's because his name is Cisco and kind of has similar letters to and the Cisco word. Lindor. Yeah. Or I was going to say it sounds kind of like. Like it looks kind of like switch in an abstract sense. It has an S and an I in it at the front. If you flip, if you turn the I upside down and you, you switch sco chance switch sco. Sure, sure. Uh, chance, I don't know. Yeah, this is this is a weird tangent for me to be on. I just always thought that it's weird. Was, Him being a Met is a weird tangent for the Mets to be on. It so, yeah. I mean, like good due diligence by whoever made that waiver claim in that front office because they certainly needed him now. Yeah, really needed him. That's like who would they have called on if they didn't have him back there? They would have need to take like they got uh they got they got Martin Cervenka in AAA. Right, that's probably who it would have been. He apparently has a really good arm. Uh, yes, our our friend Tom Hackamer is a big fan of Marty Cervenka, who yeah. I saw hit a home run this year on opening day in AAA. Um, but that's that does not mean he can hit. Yeah, uh, that's 
Yeah, if you haven't listened to the Hackmer episode, by the way, he is our friend, and uh, it's a good episode. So, so definitely check it out. We learned a lot about him and had a lot of fun talking shop. So that Real was fun, great. affable side armor as they tend yeah. to be. I mean, it's one thing I've thought about too. Speaking like just of like also fun. anime watch. Sorry to interrupt you. Also watches anime. Didn't know that until recently. You inter- yeah had to he watches it. That's cool actually. I don't uh, know. That. Continue. Continue. Well, I think it's one thing that's kind of had me down a little bit is like thinking about this group of players. Like I would hate it if Marcus Stroman went to another team and like his two years with the organization, I guess three, but like as two playing here after we acquired him, we never got him pitching in an October game, like him in city field in front of an October October crowd, like with Lindor and bias together would have been awesome. Like would have been electric. Um, would have just had a lot of energy. I think Alonzo getting to play in a postseason game. We still have time for that. Um, but that would have been really cool. Like, I just think that this is a group that even as things have sort of started to spiral out of control from like a fan relations perspective, like I, I still maintain through all of this, like these are people who I would have loved to actually watch go toe to toe with, with a good team. And it sucks that they got hurt. It sucks that the hitting approach has just been terrible. I think a lot of that, again, like, I think a lot of that just go, comes down to the fact that the front office got rid of their coach in the middle of the year without having a backup plan, really, because they just took two guys from the middle of the organization who some people have been familiar with and stuck them there to, to basically speak their language for many months because it went very quickly from like an on-base emphasis to a swing at the first pitch whenever you want thing like Nimmo's approach is just confusing right now like I don't know what's going on um but I those guys deserve better um yeah I, I just I feel bad I, I feel bad also that we haven't even talked about the Cohen tweet I mean I'm not gonna I don't like that I don't like that things get negative every week right and I don't like that it, it always ends up circling back to a tweet by the owner but like come on why are you throwing why are you like throwing your players under the bus like duh no shit they have a bad approach everybody knows this other people within baseball have been saying this the entire like second half that the approach is bad and confused like many people are saying you're in charge of the process there of having like an actual approach at all like it, it just i don't know i mean there's just been a lot of like crappy discourse about it like you know the players know they're not doing well they know that it's been like that it's been a rough go. They know they're the second worst offensive team in baseball this year. They've also almost all of them now have been injured. McCann's injured now. Like Dom Smith is the only regular who hasn't been on the injured list yet. And he's injured. And he is injured. He's literally playing injured. So I, I agree. I agree with you. I mean, I, I tweeted before the season and I think it was a tweet that got a little bit of traction where I said something to the effect of man, like between like Lindor and, and, like Dom Smith and all the personalities on this team, like this is a chance to be like the most fun Mets team of our lifetime. And like thought that they would just have so much fun on the baseball field. And it, why did people give you trash for that? No, I it got traction. Oh, traction. Okay. Uh, a yeah, lot of people like, agreed with it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, like JD's a goofball when he's playing well, like he, that Lego headed idiot, like would mess around on the bench, like in 2019 and last year, I, you know, I just feel like, it's unfortunate it didn't shake out that way. It's unfortunate that because nobody on this team can hit except Pete Alonso, apparently like that, 
they are just like an incredibly boring baseball team mm-hmm. um, for the most part. Like when players play well, they have more fun. But also yeah. when players have fun, they play well. So yeah. when the clubhouse is looser, they would play better. You know, hitting's contagious, they say. So I think more along the lines of that is when your teammates are doing better, you're more likely to be loose. And when you play looser baseball, you play better baseball. You know, you're not so tense. You're not so tightened up. You're not gripping the bat so tight. And But when you have your owner tweeting about you and you have a player in your clubhouse making tweets um, that are very, very self-serving and then calling out reporters, uh, whatever, you know, wherever you land on, on those issues with the Cohen tweet and with the Stroman Healy beef, um, you know, it, it creates stories where you don't want there to be stories and it makes guys play a little tenser baseball. And you kind of just got to put that stuff in the bat on the back burner and forget about it. If you're one of the players on these teams and, you know, on this team, and it's not easy to do. It's New York. Mm-hmm. The media is always going to be breathing down your neck. Yeah. Yeah. And- I, I definitely like in that camp too. I think that I'm, I care deal a little it. bit more. You gotta deal. Like what? What's you up? You got to deal with it. I'm just saying, yeah. you just got to deal with it. You got to, well, you got to deal with it. I also think like, I think you got to deal with like writers posting stats about how badly you've been playing like that. You got to deal with. Um, I think just from an optics perspective, right? Like if you're the owner of this team, you do not have to add to any of that. I mean, you shouldn't even be on Twitter to begin with. We go over this every week. You shouldn't be on Twitter to begin with. Like, oh yeah. We say it every time we talk about his tweets, just like, please stop posting, Steve, please, please stop posting. But I don't know. I see both sides of the angle on that. In fact, the Cohen tweet is just, it's not something that I felt very strongly about for whatever reason. It's just not something I feel like I have such a nuanced take about it. I agree with the takes that say, um, you know, it's embarrassing that he tweeted that, you know, he's just needlessly calling players out, like as if they don't know that they've been struggling. Uh, Who does it help? I also agree with the takes that are like, did he say anything wrong? No. Uh, You know, that kind of thing so does it actually hold guys accountable no we are all very much aware that the players are struggling and the players themselves are extremely aware of that too this is their job this is their livelihood they know when they're not performing up to par Mm -hmm. uh but at the same time it's like it's whatever who cares like who i don't i don't know man like well i I wouldn't care about i wouldn't care if like this had been squared away in the off season. I think that's the big. Oh, absolutely. Thing. Like the, I, I really only Davis care thing. because it's like it's your, it's 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 the player's fault that they're not hitting, but it's also your fault that the players have no recourse to improve because they found out the same time we found out that you fired the hitting coach, and I didn't even like Chili Davis, but like you did that to the players and you left them without a safety net, and you didn't really like. And now you're doing that. And that's like, at that point, if I'm a player, I guess I feel like my owner is like, he just doesn't like me. Oh, absolutely. Like if you were going to fire Chili Davis a month into the season, like you shouldn't have even been with the team at, in spring training, yeah. whatever, like completely agree with you. Uh, everyone has said it since it happened, but the organization flubbed the hitting coach situation. And it, there's really nothing we could do about it now. You still got to, even if your hitting coach is not very good at his job, or I don't even know anything about you, Paul, but I'm still. So uh, just whatever, you know, 
whatever. Yeah. Like the hitters got to perform. It's it's that simple. And they've been playing baseball and they've been hitting their entire lives. And they ha- it's not like even if they don't like their hitting coach or if their hitting coach is not very good at his job. And I'm not, it's not saying he is. I'm just saying if they mm-hmm. still have the tools that they have, you know, they need to be able to make adjustments. They still have the talent to uh, be able to hit a baseball hard and far. And they're just not doing that. And uh, I hope they turn it around now that they're going to have a stretch against some worse pitching coming up after the giant series. And man, I, I really just, you know, we've been so negative about the team that I don't want to keep beating the dead horse that they just can't hit. We all know they can't hit. And it's, uh, I hope it, I hope it changes in the last month of the season. I don't see it's, I don't foresee it's going to, but it is episode 50 and we want to celebrate that. And I feel like we've done a better job keeping the vibes up today. And we're going to continue to do that after we take a quick break and do our little ad read. So we'll take about a minute. You'll hear the ad that you've heard for the last 50 or so weeks. And uh, we'll come back and uh, I think we'll have some fun. And we're back. All right. Let's chat about some guys. Shall we, Jack? Yes. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, This is sort of. I think like in a perfect world, if this team had been doing better, we would have had more presently like centered things to do to celebrate our 50th because the team we were covering last year at this point was God awful. Um, That whole season was terrible. Um, But that season, like every season and like this season, especially (laughs) has a lot of guys. Um, And I think one of the things that we've had the most fun with um, as a podcast and also I think as just like a pair of people like Met fans sharing our, our Ajda on Twitter with people um, we've all gotten to enjoy is is like just rehashing those memories like going through the stories because I think everybody people forget like how many players have played for this team in the history of this franchise and also just like how many individual moments each player can be responsible for or like you know, creating. Um, so let's, I mean, we open it up to you guys. We, we asked you to just basically take over the stage. Uh, throw some guys out there. Uh, we're both, I think Sam and I are both very like, we're both blessed with, I think this ability to remember these players and to remember very like weird things about them. Um, I'm probably a little bit just because I've like watched the team a little tiny bit longer. Like I have those very early formative memories of like the Shea stadium Mets too, that just like, I could go on about that stuff for like 45 extra minutes. So what we're doing today is we're basically going to carve out like however, however long it takes, however much time we have to, we to got, get. we got over 65 replies uh, to remember guys. Uh, and there's no way we can get all of them. Like some, some guys have been remembered already. Yeah. But. So I feel maybe cause uh, first of all, like we appreciate all of our friends with, you know, lots of followers who like helped boost this. Cause um, we were yes. not getting the traction that we wanted to uh, on this before some of our friends stepped in and said, um, and, you know, started quote tweeting and, and stuff like that. So um, yes. appreciate all of our friends who kind of helped kickstart this thread, but I, lots lots of dudes um lots of dudes to remember i don't even know where to start should we start maybe in the quote tweets 
Um, I'm just gonna. Or just pick a well, pick a dude. Pick a dude. I'm just gonna find one and be like, "That's the guy." Um, uh, first of all, before we start, some people uh, use pictures of like Billy Joel and and Jerry Seinfeld as like fun, you know, in Mets stuff as like you know fun little jokey ones. Like appreciate that, sure. We yes. got the a couple of obligatory like Jed Lowry jokes happens. Oh so uh, many Jed Lowry jokes. The joke is on us. Like, do people people realize that now, right? Like, Jed Lowry laughs at all of us. Dude's hitting like three fifty with runners in scoring position for the playoff team A's. Like, I'm gonna look up while you look for your first guy. I'm gonna look up the Jed Lowry numbers because I'm pretty sure his OPS plus is higher than most of the guys. He's at 108. Let's see what the Mets are at. Well, you the average hitter right there. Yeah, love the average hitter right there. Yeah. Who do you have? Who's your guy? Um. Let's uh, let's start with our friend uh, Rory Stangle's ghost, who is uh, remembering Ale Solaire very strongly. Mm. That was a dude. That was like I remember him. I remember him. He who, do- who doesn't remember a good Ale Solaire? He was uh, he came up and had like three really really good stars debut. He was like a defector from Cuba. He must have been like 25 or 26. Like he wasn't like young um, and he pitched really well. He had the weirdest complete game two hitter ever. Like this was um, in Arizona. He only like he, pitched in eight games in his entire career. Eight games. And then as a 26 year old in 2006, yeah, his last two appearances were really, really, really bad. I think his last one, he gave up like eight runs at Yankee stadium on Sunday night baseball. And like, the Mets pulled the plug on it. They basically like optioned, they either optioned or DFA'd him. And then he worked really, really hard in the off season to get back in shape. He showed up and they cut him, uh, which was sad. I remember him. It's a really, really brutal. And he never pitched again. All right. Who do you got? Who's your, who's your first dude? My first dude is, um, this is by this is uh oh this is Jack Ramsey at uh Jack Ramsey he gave us Jack Reinheimer classic which I did some research on because we talked about the 2018 Mets and um by the way Jed Lowry's OPS plus the only two Mets with higher OPS pluses are, are Alonzo and Nimmo VR is at 102 and everyone else is below 100 so that's just that's the joke um but I did some research on that on Reinheimer because I feel like he played in a lot of games like after the Mets lost guys at the trade deadline that year, he, he had like 35 at bat or 35 plate appearances without an RBI. I got really, really curious to see how many players with that many plate appearances in that history have zero RBIs. And there are two others. Um, there are only two others. One of them is I'm looking at it now. One of them is this guy named Jimmy Schaefer who caught for the Mets in like basically the mid sixties. So he's a catcher in the mid sixties. So of course he's not going to get any hits, right? Like he was terrible and the team was terrible. And the only other one is a guy who's on the Mets right now. You want to guess who that is? Oh God. Um, uh, 
Wait a sec. Wait a sec. Wait a sec. I can I can come up with this. I'll let you because I forgot. There's one other dude who also did. Doug Saunders in the early '90s. He was like a light hitting infielder who played. He had 73 plate appearances and didn't have an RBI. It's, Al- it's got to be Almora, right? It's Almora. Yeah, yeah. Albert Almora has like like 60 something plate appearances and no RBIs. That's ludicrous. So, he also had a home run robbed at some point too, right? So he had an extra base, a very like solid piece of hitting may have gone out. Um, but. how about how about uh Tyler Pill? Thanks Dylan Hornick. Tyler Pill. That's like and then you replied to this you said <laughs> Tyler Mapill in my opinion. I I'm Tyler Pill pilled. Tyler Pill pilled. Uh, Tyler who, Pill. He who was tried like, he tried to uh come back as a hitter, didn't he? Cuz he could rake a little bit. I didn't know that. Did he try to do little Micah Owings? I think he tried to do little Micah Owings and uh, didn't really work out for him. Um, I think he was in like the Dodgers system as like a first baseman hitter or something. Or maybe the uh, maybe it was the Diamondbacks. It was one of the West Coast NL teams, I think. Could have been, yeah. That sounds – I mean, he was like – He hit like well when he was with Las Vegas. I didn't know that. Well, they hit the DH in Vegas, didn't they? Uh, he evidently did something to warrant it, but he, he threw he like did. 87. He threw like 87 miles per hour. Like he wasn't, he, he was never a top prospect. And they basically called him up that year because this was like the year where they showed the video of like Harvey and Syndergaard and Wheeler and Matt's eating steak. And then they all got hurt. And they needed pitchers like desperately. And like Lugo was also hurt. I think Rafael Montero made like 25 starts that year. Okay. I got our answer. I, I got the answer that he did after stints with the Diamondbacks and Dodgers systems as a pitcher. In 2019, he spent like three months in the Rangers system as an outfielder. Uh, so like wow. he did try to come back as a hitter and it didn't work out. That's good for him. I'm glad he got to play some baseball after he pitched for the Mets because I don't think he pitched in the majors or like anyone else. I don't um, think so either. Yeah, you didn't really stick. Um, I got one. This is from Alex at a Russ underscore 97. Um, he gave us Alex a frequent commenter on our on our Alex team. is Alex is a very, very good friend of the pod. He gave us Guillermo Moda, who I remember from like the 2007 collapse as just being like maybe the worst of the worst in terms of like relievers they brought in before they blew leads. Like, right. Like you bring them into a game, like right when like, like Shane Victorino was about to hit a basis clearing triple to give the Phillies the lead. They'd bring in Moda and he would do that. Like, I don't think that's a specific thing that happened, but like, he was the perfect candidate. It was like him and like Scott Schoenweiss. Moda actually got in a fight with Mike Piazza when he was a Dodger, which I like saw a video of. It was kind of funny. Like Piazza just basically chased him onto the mound and Moda ran to the first base side. And then Piazza chased him to the first base side. And there were maybe five or six Dodgers, like infielders and the catcher too, who like tried to stop him. And he just like ran right past them. Dude was just going like, fast as lightning to get to Moda. And then he Moda played for, He played for like a whole bunch of teams, wasn't he? Like Octavio Dotel, but we have Octavio Dotel at home. 
we had Octavio Tells and Matt. Yeah, we did. Oh god, we're remembering our own guys now. Yeah, he was a he was on the '99 team, which was like a really like fun team. I think he was the fifth starter. But how about how about Lance Broadway from David Sheridan, um, who says Lance Broadway, which sounds like the stage name of some guy doing dinner theater in Vermilion, South Dakota, but was actually a Mets pitcher. And they'll also throw in Jesse Hudson and McKay Christensen, but because no one else will. Uh, Lance Broadway was like the first dude that the Mets traded for when I first became a baseball fan in like 2009, like in the early yeah. parts of the season, because they traded Ramon Castro to the White Sox and he was the guy they got back in there. And he, he pitched like maybe a handful of games for the Mets. In like September, like yeah. he was just a garbage time guy. You know what he's up to now though, right? Uh, oh God, that's, I, I don't. I promise you, you want to know what he's up to. Please tell me that. Lance Broadway, you Google Lance Broadway. Is he the on bio Broadway? says, Lance Daniel Broadway is an American actor and former Major League Baseball pitcher. So he, he went into Broadway? acting. Broadway went into acting. Oh, that's fantastic. I don't think, I don't know if David knew this, but David, he literally has a stage name because he is a performer now. And his name is Lance Broadway, which is great. And he, yeah, Jesse Hudson, by the way, this won't be the guy I remember. I only know Jesse Hudson because he was one of the two Mets that like they did the in memoriam for uh, when they did the, do you remember this? When they had the 50 year thing, I was the there 69 Mets and they had two guys who they basically said were dead and they weren't dead. I was there. And Jesse Hudson was one of them. <laughs> I was there. Yeah. That's... Jesse Hudson. Poor dude. Oh man. I'm, I'm just, I'm now looking at Lance Broadway's Wikipedia page. Mm-hmm. They not. I, don't know in. I just saw actor and I was like, that's, that's perfect info. He, that's enough. He doesn't even have like a listed filmography on his Wikipedia. Like most actors do. It just says there's a section that says acting career. And it's like three little bullet points. He made his motion picture debut in the 2013 film Olympus Has Fallen. <laughs> he was cast as Commander Linden in sci-fi thriller Telios, which was later named Beyond the Trek and released in 2017. He would play a guy named Commander Linden. <laughs> and then in 2015, he was cast as Devin in the short film Shattered Reflections. That is all it says about his acting career. But like, if you're a guy named Lance Broadway, how can you not? He's also a good looking dude. Uh, like, how can you not go into acting after your professional baseball career uh, is in the toilet in less with less than three years of service time? Because he pitched in like 07 and 08 for the White Sox, too. Jeez. Uh, yeah. Well, they traded Castro because they wanted to give Omir Santos more playing time. Oh, God. But, was that the reason? Because Omir Santos, yeah. I know he had his moment. You know, he had his moment, but he wasn't good. No, it wasn't. But Castro was like, I think, 35 and on his last legs. But, and, then, um, and then Ramon Castro went on to catch a perfect game later that year. He did. He did. He was a good he was a good game caller. I think people like that about him. I think he caught like he caught a couple really like clutch games from that pitchers. Um, I'm sure he caught no no shortage of great Johan starts in 08. He caught Johan's best start, I think, like the one in 08. Um, well, he threw a no hitter, so. No, but this was better than his no-hitter because he walked, like, five guys in the no-hitter. Yeah, I know. But um, that's a take that, like, I'll, I'll get killed for. Um, I got a good one. This is an old one. So, actually, Falvo gave us uh, a couple from her aunt and mom, which I think is great because it's, like, we're obviously both uh, 
encyclopedias for like guys that we remember but it's always fun to like get a guy that's another like older fan remembers and then do the research on them and figure out basically like you know what the deal is with those guys that we've never heard of um she put up Jeff Innes who was like a relief pitcher in the mid 80s like a side armor kind of just like you know oh we love our side armors yeah he was cool um she also did I don't know who's from her on and mom and who's from her, but Doug Flynn and Steve Henderson, who they both got in the, uh, the Tom Seaver trade. And then Mackie Sasser, who was a catcher. I looked this up. I actually learned about this, like when I was like first getting into like Mets history. And like, I looked up Mackie Sasser's numbers because he was a good hitter, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong. He was the, uh, the first round draft pick that they picked. I think you're thinking of Steve Chilcott. The guy they uh, picked over Reggie be. Jackson was Steve Chilcott. Yeah, it might be. Mackie okay. Sasser is also a good Mets story because he had a separated shoulder and he had trouble throwing the baseball back to the mound. Uh, like a lot of trouble. Like had to triple pump the ball, like worse than J.D. Davis. And he would lollipop the throw back. And runners stole bases on him so brutally. Like this was the late 80s and early 90s. No one like gave a shit about your feelings. It was basically your fault if you decided you were going to put Mackie Sasser behind the plate because he couldn't throw at all. And it was like, it was something that like, I think if Mets Twitter had been around in like the nineties, um, people would have been very tolerant of, uh, <laughs> of, of the fact that this guy just could not throw. He had like separated his shoulder. Like he literally had such bad damage in his arm that he couldn't throw the ball back. There might be footage of it. It's very hard to watch, but that's the guy that I'm going to take my, make my takeaway on Mackie Sasser. Yeah. We got a couple of Mackie Sassers actually. We did. I didn't, I didn't see the other ones, but there was that's one the, the guy that definitely one of the quote tweets. Yeah. Um, my friend, Jared Fort mm-hmm. uh, says Ruben Tejada saw him play a few nights ago. Uh, he's uh, I assume at, at a Rochester game because Jared's up in Rochester. Um, Still kicking that guy. Uh, the real PJ Clark, good buddy of mine as well, says AJ Ramos. Can't forget AJ. He was the Marcus Stroman personality-wise before Marcus Stroman. I think that's a good call, right? I don't know. I don't think AJ was kind really... of an AJ was kind of this enigmatic personal dude, like dude, like personality-wise. He, had he was a prankster. He was he funny. Was, he was a really he, funny dude. Yeah. He was also another one of those like grinder guys who like love showing you how much they how hard they were working. He had a reason though, because I think most of that grind stuff came like as he was making his comeback because he tore his labrum with the Mets, like Mickey Calloway and that whole team worked him to utter shit and basically tried to ruin his career by hurting him so badly. Like, I think his grind posts were actually like actual, like grind posts because he was grinding his way back. I don't think there will ever be another like Met who has the personality and like presence that Marcus Stroman has. And that's not a, that's yeah. not either, that's neither an endorsement or a uh, rejection of Marcus Stroman's personality. It is just my observation that like, he is just Marcus no, Stroman. There's no are, one like him. We are not saying anything by saying that he is Marcus Stroman. He is literally just Marcus Stroman. He's just that kind of guy. Literally just vibing. Um, looking, looking, looking. There's so many to choose from. Oh, God, there are. 
Oh, I got a good one, I think. This is another, like, oh, Joe Heapus. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Do you know Joe? He- Have you ever looked at Joe Heapus's baseball reference page? Oh, probably not. I got to find this. Yeah. From, uh, from, you, from me, wanna, it right. Yeah. He, uh, yeah, 16th round pick in 01. Uh, so he was drafted the same year David Wright was. His career stats, one game, zero plate appearances in, uh, in 2004. Nice. He was a uh, defensive replacement uh, in the last game of the season. It was actually also the last game that Montreal, it was in Montreal, so it was the last game in, like Expos history. He caught the last inning in Expos history. Oh. So, he, he, oh, he caught for Todd Zeal. They like pulled him for Todd. They put they pulled Todd Zeal for him, and that was the last game Zeal ever played too. Weird to think Zeal wasn't met that long. Yeah. Really weird. Yeah. About uh, what about Jack Egbert? From oh Tarn yeah, that's the, Oh yeah, Tarn Tarn is like, I don't actually know anything about Tarn. Uh, he did not post a picture of Jack Egbert. That's, that's Garrett Olson. That's Garrett. Oh God. Oh, Tarn. that's not Jack Egbert. Jack Egbert is such a guy like that. There isn't even a recorded picture of him like pitching in a match jersey. That's Garrett Olson. Well, Egbert was also a right hander. I remember because I was. Hmm. Egbert was also right handed, and the picture shows a lefty. Yeah, that's how I knew. I was like, that doesn't look like Egbert. That looks like a shitty lefty. And it like, is a shitty lefty because it ain't Jay Egbert. Oh man. Well, oh, Egbert was like, yeah, I don't remember what Egbert did, but I know Egbert, Olsen. Yeah, Egbert, what did Egbert do? Egbert came over from the White Sox on waivers. In 2009, in September, very late September, September 25th, and then they promptly DFA'd him before spring training the next year. Smart. Had Tommy John surgery, so he sat out the entire year. And then, because he had cleared waivers when they DFA'd him, uh, and then finally when he recovered, they brought him up in 2012. And... Uh, he replaced Robert Carson, who's another guy uh, on I, the active roster. And I think he Robert actually Carson is still playing. Yeah, isn't he? That's weird. Like indie ball, not 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 a not organized yeah. like major league, minor league ball, but he's still probably still giving up nukes. Uh, that dude gave up home runs at prolific rates. It seemed. Um, Egbert had a good year in AAA to begin that year, but I don't think here. I'm trying to pull up his major league stats. He pitched in one one game for the Major League Mets through two-thirds of an inning with a 0.00 ERA. Faced two batters, got them both out. That's probably tied for the lowest ERA in, uh, in Met history. Well, you can't get lower. You, you really can't. What was his FIP? <laughs> his FIP was probably zero. He got his two hitters out. But, yeah, I guess the FIP thing is like if they're – No, out- actually, his FIP was 3.1. Oh, so that's like – okay. That's like, because I'm pretty sure that's like the coefficient or whatever. It's a weird stat. Uh, is if, not a predictive stat. If uh, you don't get your outs on uh, strikeouts, then like it just goes to the coefficient. I don't know. Um, you're getting all mathy on me. I am. I'm not even that good at math. I don't know. I'm an English major. Oh, yeah. I do, uh, I do words. Uh, at bring the noise. 
uh, our friend Abigail, she quote tweeted with the first guy I think I ever remembered on any episode we ever did. And that was Doug Mankiewicz, who uh, is a funny story because they literally like, they, I think they signed him. He played for them in like 05 and he was only there for one year and he was just like extremely mediocre. Um, Did they send him off to Florida? Or no, that's Mike Jacobs. No, yeah, that was Mike Jacobs. But Jacobs was the prospect who spared us from having well, to watch Minkiewicz anymore. Okay, what it was was they brought in Minkiewicz instead of just signing Carlos Delgado. Yes, because they failed they to sign up, him. And then they wound up trading for Delgado the following offseason anyways. They made it happen. I Yeah, you look at that 05 team, and it's crazy like how much overhaul there was between that year and 06. Like just so they many really like went for it. Yeah. Yeah. There were so many like one and done people. Like they had Miguel Cairo for a year too, which is like crazy to me that like Miguel Cairo was in that. Um, Shall we let's do like rapid fire. Let's get some rapid fire. going. Okay. Lino Urdaneta from Rob Pearsall, who like, I don't even know if that's a name I've ever heard. Yeah, he's he. I don't, I don't know. He, I think that's he got like suspended for PEDs, but that's a that's, that's all I know about cut. him. That's a deep cut. Akil Morris, we got a couple of Keel Morrises. Um, uh, Arhanus Reyes, Gavin Chikini, Chip Ambris, Tim. We got a picture of Jorge Sosa, yeah, Jorge Sosa, who had the fifth most starts on the 2007 Mets. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brad Emus, Pat Tabler, Ryota Igarashi, who I remembered on the pod. Yeah, um, we have our second Tyler Pill. We had a couple of Brooks Pounders. Good one, Ricky Ledee, Jason Phillips. Uh huh. That was from Chris. Sam Haggerty. Oh, Ham Saggerty. Yeah. One of the many Mariners who like is just enjoying having a better record than us. Yeah, NL champion Johnny Manel. Thank you, Kyle. <laughs> he says, "I don't know if I'm too late to change add to my answer, but also Ricky Botalico. Botalico, you mean?" But is that what it is? Yeah, no. but it's, it's very Italian. Botalico like feels like the more Italian pronunciation. Um, I, I don't know. I think like I don't, I don't know, but he's like he he now does like color commentary for the Phillies like post games, really? and it's great. It's great to watch because he's one of those guys who really like the the former baseball player in him comes out and he just gets really angry talking about when the Phillies bullpen like blows games and stuff. Uh, so tell, me, just, tell me you're in the Philadelphia media market for college without telling me you're in the Philadelphia media market for college. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll get my one uh, college media brag in there, I guess. I, I, I can cash in um, after a couple. Right. I think it's like I get like five or six and then I can cash in or something. Scott Copeland. Oh, Scott Copeland, who was the Akil Bostic of 2018 but also actually had a good start in which he deserved to like stay on the roster. People went all out and they just took, they really, I should like, they really took guys who just played one game and then left. Yeah. These are all guys who like played one. Well, some of them I think are like, that's not to say they aren't, they aren't good. Oh yeah. This is a good one. Um, Shadow met. They had a guy on their, in their organization named Ronald McDonald. <laughs> Literally from in like the 80s, Ronald McDonald. Thank you to at Corey NYC for this. He never made it past AAA. He counts. We're we're oh, yes. remembering Ronald McDonald. Hey, I've remembered a couple of Shadow Mets, at least one. I've remembered uh 
uh, Matt Kemp, I think. So you can definitely, yes, we definitely uh, think Shadow Mets count. If you're also new here, Shadow Met is a Met who never actually played in a major league game for the Mets, but was in the organization in some fashion, whether they were here in spring training or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, Shadow Mets definitely welcome. But Ronald McDonald. <laughs> Ronald McDonald. Mike yeah. Baxter, they had a dude named Lute Barnes in like the 70s. Not Luke, Lute, L-U-T-E. Tommy Malone, but they spelled it incorrectly. It's Ma. It's they spelled it Malone. Like Kevin Malone. Jason Isringhausen from Daniel Spulvers, our friend. Uh Ambiorix Burgos. That guy Ricardo. poisoned his wife. <sighs> that guy tried to kill. He that guy ran over two women in the DR and tried to kill his wife. His name is also real hard to pronounce. Ambiorix? Yeah. It just kind of rolls right off the tongue. What are Ambiorix. you talking about? I don't know. Uh, Ricardo Rincon, thank you, Kyle. Uh, minor league home run king Mike Hessman. I've rem- we remembered him on the pod before. God, Taylor this is Teagarden. like the to a great movie. <laughs> Mike Hessman? No, well, just all the guys we're reading. It's like the, the credits of an oh, yeah. award-winning film. Taylor Teagarden, who had that, that grand slam... Chris Mazza, who's chucking baseballs for the best team in the American League. Mm-hmm. Omar Quintanilla, who was the last Met to wear zero before Marcus Stroman. Yeah. Oh, Walker Lockett. I don't oh, even know where he's Walker at these Lockett. days. Oh, my God. He's in, he's in uh, he Korea, increased. I think. He's still in Korea? Ah. Yeah. Uh, He'll Tyler go to Bash- the Mariners. Tyler Bachelor, who I was so certain was going to be a dude until I saw him actually pitch consistently. And he just – threw strikes. Dick high fastballs when he did. Didn't know where it was going. Dick high, let it fly. He gave up so many cock shot home runs. He gave up so many home runs in like the seventh and eighth innings of important games because he like threw, Mickey Callaway is just like guy throw hard. He pitched eighth and ninth. It was the hard. It was like the straightest 97, 98 that I've ever seen. And he forgot how to locate the curveball, which was really, really good. He had a season in like double A where he struck out like 17 guys per nine. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's how you get on the map. Like, that's how, like, those relievers basically get, like, on the radar. Like, that's what happened with Riley Gilliam, you know. Well, Gilliam was, like, a really good ACC college closer, and they drafted him in, like, the middle rounds, and he just, like, has fallen off a cliff this year. But I, n- no prospect talking. No prospect chat. No prospect uh, discourse. Brooks Pounders, good old Bobby Parnell. from the new Adam Wilk. Yeah, good old uh, – the guy who said good old Bobby Parnell threw me a ball once, cool guy. His uh, Twitter name made me chuckle. It's Average Marcus Stroman Enjoyer. That's good. Daryl Siciliani, Dick Schofield. Someone put a Kirk Neuenheis in. I feel like we remember Kirk Neuenheis like every other episode because yeah. he played football. And Yeah, he played football. A couple of Jamie Sertas. I don't know if I mentioned that already. Uh, Brian Stokes. So many. So, so many. And we got we got one as we were recording from our friend Justin who, who mentioned Rodney McRae. Oh, yeah. Did you know Ruben Tejada is younger than Jacob deGrom? I definitely did. Like? I abs- I, de- I have to. I, I need to have known that. I'm sure that other people did not know that. But Ruben well, Tejada was born in 89, and, and Jacob deGrom was born in 88. He's younger than Jacob deGrom. Incredible. My brain can't handle all the guys we've remembered in this episode and we're now well over an hour into this episode and it's been a blast and we're running out of guys i think we pretty much hit everybody except our own guys oh yeah do you want to do yours (laughs) sure i'll do my own guy um 
be you know given that this is uh the 50th episode i thought why not let's remember a guy who wore number 50 so i obviously miguel castro has it now rafael montero before him the old man scott atchison had it um but other than i mean there's been some obviously sid fernandez is the guy who wore it but like in benny Agbayani, but there's been some dudes who remembered to remember who uh who have worn 50 mm. uh why is, he wearing, why is he wearing 50? Oh, Jack, that's 44. Uh, another injury uh, no one's going to understand. Oh, um, uh, Mike O'Connor in 2011. But the guy I was going to remember is a guy who actually had a decent major league career. But when it came to his Mets career, um, he only pitched in nine games. And his name is John Thompson. From 02, he pitched in nine games oh, with the Mets. But he had well. he had like 10 years of major league service time. He pitched from 97 to 07, had like 140 major league, 145 or so major league decisions as a, as a right-handed pitcher. Exactly 800 strikeouts, a 4.68 career ERA. But he pitched in nine games with the Mets. They got him in a deadline deal from the Rockies in 02 for Mark Little. Are uh, with Mark Little for Jay Payton and two other guys. That's a terrible trade. Jay Payton, I remember was I don't remember myself, but like that's a dude that like when you watch like the the VHS tapes of like the two thousand team, like he was a dude. He was really good, and they just gave him away. They made some. That was like yeah, that O two team. They made a lot of just terrible decisions. Like I think that's the same off season that they like re-signed Roger Cedeno when he was no longer like a, a base stealing threat because he was like out of shape um yeah, that sounds among cool. other like decisions they made like they I think they also um this was the year they also like brought they brought in Mo Vaughn uh who was just like famously like he was a DH in the AL who could not play first base and they tried to play him at first base Hey, but he hit that one really, really long home run that you see get tweeted every every year when it happened. I mean, it, that was a pretty cool. He was a he hit. Uh, he he could he could kind of mash. He just was not. His body was not like built to play the field every day. And eventually, I think he like the last year of his contract, he had to like. He couldn't he was play. Prince, he was Prince Fielder, except like a little worse. Sure, like if Prince Fielder had played to like 35, 36. Sure, that would have been Prince, probably. All right. Also, I mentioned it, but Michael Connor is also certainly a dude that we could remember. Mm-hmm. We're number 50. Lanky, like real lanky lefty. Yeah. I like, yeah. I think I remember Michael Connor. I'm remembering Keon Broxton. Ah, he just got cut the other day. He did. I saw it and I was, I was, it made me think of Keon Broxton, the Met. Just, God, he was awful. He was awful. He's also the only one of those like awful outfielders that the Mets like. Well, no, that's not true. Actually, he's a, they traded for Jake Marisnik. Also, I was gonna Brody be like, trade. Oh, yeah. Brody guy. Brody guy. I mean, at least this guy they like cut early-ish enough. You know what I mean? Like he was gone by like the middle of May, but yeah, they still sent a couple of actual human beings for him in the trade, though. Guess what his OPS plus was as a Met? Like thirty-two. You want to guess again? Negative eight. Warmer. Negative 22. 
colder is two just the ah, number two i like two. when it's like a very specifically low number yeah two. like negative 100 it's like oh they had like 10 at bats two so, is like you had to work to chisel out that number and he had probably what 70 or so at bats as a met 53 played appearances but 34 games like they really tried to make him into like a pinch hitter yeah and d guy uh yeah no i mean League average OPS plus is 100, and he was two. So he was 98% worse than league average. Oi. Horrible. Horrible. Oh, my God. We wish Keon luck. He just got cut out of the twin system. He wasn't even on their major league roster, I don't think. He was He was electric in the outfield. Like, he was a very good defender. Um, oh, dude, dude had, like, tools out the wazoo. He just couldn't make contact. Yeah. That's how that's how every center fielder that the Mets have ever invested in has been. But yes, he's like the same physical tool set as like Byron Buxton, but obviously not quite as good. Yeah, just a speedy center fielder who had like surprising power. The Mets should get Byron Buxton, in my opinion. They should. They should. And as soon as he gets here, he should never get hurt again, in my opinion. That's a that's a bold assumption that he won't get hurt again. He absolutely would. He's working his way back. He's on rehab for the Twins. He hit like a massive home run today in like clear water. But um, he's so fun when he's on the field, man. Okay, whatever. Yeah, we've been yeah. we've been chatting for like an hour twenty. I feel it. Like fun hour one. fifteen or so. So we're fifty episodes deep. Fifty that's episodes, fun. one year. And thank you again to to everybody who sent in a guy for us to remember and who shared their own stories about guys. Like that's just, dude, I could do that every day. I I should probably like look for, you know, work and whatnot, but it is a very good short-term entertainment. So the backbone of the podcast has been the, the remembering it's the thing that we've done every single episode and uh, it, it's just fun. It's real fun that we do this every week. And, um, something like a shtick that we kind of share with our friends over at real Mets legends is kind of just remembering dudes. And yeah. uh, we enjoy it. And we love the fact that it's an activity that as a, a fan base and as a, you know, online community that we can all do together. And it's been a lot of fun. And I mean, we're certainly going to continue doing it as, as long as we have guys to remember, I think. Um, but, you know, cheers to 50 and, uh, and here's to 50 more. And Mets fans, have a pleasant good evening.